Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host, Mike the Polymath Whistler, coming from the Easy Peasy Shop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 44 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. You know, it's been a while since I've put a show out. I, I do apologize. It's It's been a weird couple of weeks. I don't know about y'all. And I've just been kind of dealing with stuff you know and in my own way and trying to clean house a little bit you know try to hit the reset button try to refocus re prioritize re energize you know cuz these times we're living in they they take their toll at least they do on me, I'll admit it. And I've just been I've been having a hard time getting my thoughts sorted out. So I haven't really felt able to put out a show, you know? And it's almost like I've felt the need to figure it out. And I'm starting to realize I just don't know if I can. And for some weird reason, I've had this song stuck in my head. Lawyers, Guns, and Money by Warren Zevon. You know, it's 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 an old, you know, kind of folk rock song. You've probably heard it a hundred times, you know, at least. Whether or not you gave it any thought, you know. You know, I I just kept having that that chorus kind of revolving in my head. Send lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. You know, and I, I, I today decided to read into the song, see what I could find out. And apparently Warren Zevon hasn't really, well, it's like there wasn't much to find. But it sounds like the song was written, you know, without a whole lot of meaning. It's kind of just a story about a fellow, you know, perhaps not the wisest of fellows, neither. And it's kind of like three little moments in this person's life where things started to kind of fall apart for him is what it sounds like, you know? So I'm going to, I'm going to read these lyrics real quick. So says, I went home with a waitress the way I always do. How was I to know she was with the Russians too? I was gambling in Havana. I took a little risk. 
Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this. In an innocent bystander, somehow I got stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I'm down on my luck. I'm hiding in Honduras. I'm a desperate man. Send lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. And, you know, when you listen to this song, you're trying to figure out, like, is he making a statement? You know, the three countries that are mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, all have communist histories, right? Russia, Cuba, Honduras. But I don't think he was really talking about that. I think he's just telling a story about this guy. You know, he gets wrapped up with some stuff because of a woman who's involved with the Russian mob, you know, and <laughs> makes a bad a bad bet down in Havana, Cuba and ends up on the run down in Honduras, hiding out. Send lawyers, guns, and money, the shit is at the fan, you know, and it's just a silly kind of song. But for some reason, lawyers, guns, and money. Lawyers, guns, and money. Just like, seems to have a ring to it that's a little bit unnerving. You know, and the song is really just, just a story. It's just entertainment. And right now, you know, the whole nation is like talking about this Kyle Rittenhouse thing. And I'll admit it's really kind of, it's something that I have thought an awful lot about both when it happened and, you know, since, because I empathize with Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, I was not the wisest last summer, or should I say two summers ago now. I went down to the riots, you know, or the protests, and watched them turn into riots. And, you know, I've mentioned it before on this show, and, you know, the truth is I was... I was standing back the whole time, kind of watching during the chaos. And during the protests, I was participating because in my heart, I was, I was supporting the right to protest, the right to free speech, you know, and I am concerned about police brutality, right? It's a very easy that was easy for me to jump in and say, yeah, you know, these are our streets. And then every night after the sun went down, you could kind of feel the tension build. And I wanted to see it. I wanted to know for myself because I knew that you wouldn't get a full story. And I live not far from where all this stuff was going down. So I, I got on my bike and I just, I witnessed it all. I didn't loot. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything against my conscience, but I saw a lot. I saw the best and the worst. And at one point I did, I carried, I mean, the whole time I had my pistol, right? But there was one circumstance where somebody drove a car through a protest down in Bloomington, where I used to live. And I wasn't the only one who, the following day, went down there armed with long rifles with the intention of protecting the protest and providing security because the cops were not going to provide a presence, you know, 
<clears throat> can't blame them there. It's a protest against them in many ways. And so I stood with a 12 gauge shotgun, you know, and so I can put myself in this kid's shoes. And ever since that day and that decision, and especially since seeing how it all played out for Kyle, you know, I've realized that the, that was not the smartest decision, right? Like just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. You know, I, I will defend Kyle by saying that he was acting in self-defense. He was being chased and attacked. And he made the decision to go there that day with the weapon that he had. So it is, I mean, to me, it's like we're trying to find meaning. Just like I'm trying to find meaning in a song that's really just a song about a person. And how much meaning can you find about a story in which shit just hits the fan, right? You know, I feel bad for Kyle because even though he didn't, even though he was acquitted, right? He, he has to live with this. You can tell. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people made jokes about him crying on the stand as he's recounting what is the most traumatic thing he's ever experienced by far. You know, some people accused him of acting, but I don't know how you could even even think that. Watching him, he would have to be one hell of an actor because that's not how an actor would play that scene, you know? That's how an 18-year-old kid who had, who had lived through a traumatic experience and who had taken lives and who had to tell that story in public as he is, you know, being judged. You know, his life is just, is hanging in, in the balance. And he's, you know, he has to tell his story. But it really kind of, it, you know, I don't even want to talk about it that terribly much. <sighs> the Rittenhouse thing, because it's really just sad. It's just sad, but I know how chaotic that that week, that time, that I know what that was like. And like I said, I very much had put myself in a similar position. You know, I had my reasons just like he had his. You know, I didn't break any laws doing what I did, and apparently neither did he. And people have a hard time accepting that. You know, I... They, they don't want to accept that this is simply a situation in which... Shit hit the fan. Frankly, some really bad people chased this kid down. And a couple of them got what they deserved, frankly. You know, that's not really fair for me to judge, right? But if you don't know by now that all three of these guys were not, not the best people, put it that way. One of them was a convicted child molester. You know, it's it's about the only joke that I saw that I kind of like thought was halfway clever, even though I didn't laugh, because frankly, I don't think any of this story is funny. But somebody said something about, you know, I think it was the Rosenbaum guy how he died how as he lived right died as he lived trying to touch an unwilling minor you know it's like these guys weren't just standing around doing nothing 
know, they were trying to beat Kyle to death. Because they perceived him as the enemy, even though he didn't seem to want to make enemies out there. You know, this kid, he he seems to worship the police a little bit, or at least he did. I don't know. I don't know how he, how he feels about things now, but he was, you know, he's kind of a bootlicker, like whatever. I don't think he's, I don't think he's perfect. I don't think I'm perfect. You know, I've had to live with my decisions over the past year, and I didn't shoot anybody, and I didn't. But even still, like, I've had to reflect on the actions that I took. And I know that not all of them were the smartest thing to do. But do I believe we have the right as... as about to say Americans, but frankly, just as people, to carry a weapon, especially during times of heightened tension and increased danger, do we have the right to to arm ourselves and stand out and 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 protect our communities? I believe we do. And it's just crazy. The media like paints this story in such a way. You know, he's a he's a minor crossing state lines. Like apparently his family was from Kenosha. He lived twenty minutes away. And he didn't cross state lines with the weapon. The weapon was apparently in Wisconsin to begin with. It's just like they keep repeating this this bull this bullshit. And it's hard to, you know, I've been trying to make sense out of all of it and see if it's like if any of it matters. And I'll say this, I'm glad that Kyle was found not guilty because if he had been found guilty that sets a new precedent instead of upholding what has always been upheld right it doesn't matter if it's Kyle Rittenhouse or the Black Panthers you know being able to carry a weapon To stand with it. As long as you do not aggress, you know. You might argue that that is the aggression, just having the weapon, but that's that's never been the case. You know, you got to look back. You got to think long. You got to imagine the entire history of humanity. And throughout, we have always had the desire, the need to protect ourselves from each other, ever at least since civilization, right? Perhaps there was a time of more or less peace because there was plenty of space, but even then, people fought with each other. It's unfortunate, you know? But the only way... The only way to ensure that our liberties are upheld is to uphold them ourselves. You know, that's what I decided to do when I went out with my weapon. I said, I said, there, there have been attacks basically against people that were at, you know, in Bloomington, there were no riots, right? It was a peaceful protest. In fact, the protest was ending, everybody was disbanding, and somebody drove their car through the crowd and hit a couple of people. Luckily, nobody died. But like I said, there was 
there was instantly a recognition of a need for a security force and a handful of us volunteered. You know, it was decentralized. You know, there were a couple of sort of groups, but more or less just individuals that came of their own accord and sort of, you know, cooperated. couple guys that were ex-military kind of ran the show, you know? And I felt good about it. You know, there's, there's an argument to be made that that's like, like you're just trying to, you're just trying to feel powerful, feel, you know, feel cool or whatever. And frankly, I didn't feel very cool. I mean, I, I, I was a little embarrassed even at the time, but I just, I just felt like it was necessary. And I was threatened a couple times by, let's say people that didn't respect the protest who would drive past and shout insults and threats. And, you know, one guy said he was going to pick me off from a hundred yards away. Like, good luck with your shotgun. And didn't seem like the kind of guy that I should take too seriously. So I didn't, but it's like that was a direct threat to my life. So I understand that things in Kenosha were dangerous. So again, was it wise for that <clears throat> for that kid? I almost feel I, I shouldn't even call him a kid for that man. You know, he's 17 years old. We need to quit pretending that teenagers are still children, you know, because they're not. But he, you know, he was responsible for the decisions he made. And he's lucky that nobody else got hurt. You know, it's really kind of insane. And I'm not trying to make a hero out of him. But it's insane that he put down his aggressors and nobody else. Does it mean anything, though? I, You know, it's like, I'm going to take it back to this Warren Zevon song. This guy's life is just in shambles. He owes debts. He's pleading to his father to send lawyers, guns, and money. You know, and I think it's meant to be almost a silly story. But it's, you know, I think the whole thing is meaningless. I think the Rittenhouse trial is essentially meaningless. Like, it's, it's really all just a shame. Did he do anything wrong? Sort of, but not really. I, you know, it's hard to... He put himself in an awful, shitty situation. Just like I did. And he made himself a target by having that long gun. So, like I said, was it wise? Not really. Did, did the people that attacked him exercise wisdom? Absolutely not. You know, don't bring a skateboard to a gunfight. A lot of folks don't realize, though. They don't know the whole story, and... Kyle actually exercised pretty pretty insane um, restraint because there was a fourth aggressor right after he blew the hole in uh, whatever the guy's name was um, who testified because he survived. He blew the hole in his arm and another guy was coming at him and Kyle points his gun at the guy 
coming towards him, and the guy stops dead in his tracks, puts his hands up, and Kyle doesn't shoot. That's when it was over. Kyle walked away, or ran, (laughs) rather. But if he had shot that fourth guy, it'd be a different story. And these details do matter. Now you might be saying, like, why are you talking about this on the Easy Peasy podcast? Well, this stuff is is important. You know, I've been thinking back to early American history. I've been reading a bit, and I've been contemplating in particular the the first day of the American Revolution which happens to coincide with my birthday (laughs) but April 19th 1775 the day of Paul Revere's ride and the shot heard round the world You know, a lot of a lot of people don't know enough about their history. We'll just put it that way. But that day to me is more important than the Fourth of July. It's more important than George Washington's birthday. You know, it's more important than damn near any any other holiday, American sort of holiday that we celebrate you know it's it's the day that your average farmer in Lexington or Concord Massachusetts was willing to grab their guns and stand up to defend their communities from a tyrannical foreign force that might not be the proper way to you know it's like these people weren't so far removed from England to call it a foreign force but a you know a government they they stood against their their government they stood against the government which ruled over them they stood against their rulers we'll put it that way And it's funny because apparently the British troops and the American militia are standing off on the green and nobody is quite sure what to do. Nobody wants to be the first to shoot. But a shot rang out and nobody knows where it came from. Might have been in the woods, might have been from a window. But once that shot rang out, everything else changed. And it's not to say the person that fired the shot was the hero of the day. But I think the people who stood on the grass, you know, in the ranks, in the militia, the people who said, we will not be ruled by you any longer, I think they were heroes. I don't want to be misunderstood here. Like, I'm not calling for that. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather see a quiet revolution than a, than a bloody one. You know, one in which we simply take our sovereignty back in practical ways where through homesteading and through community building and cooperation and commerce you know, local commerce that we can simply make our rulers obsolete. You know, until we can get to the point where we can say, you know what, we really don't need you anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. 
you know, I don't think, I don't think there's a better way. Because I don't want to be Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't want to be calling out for help saying lawyers, guns, and money. You know, I don't want to put myself in that position. I don't want to have those, those threats. So what I advocate as the most revolutionary act anyone can do is taking back control of their food. You know, not only planting a garden, but, but let's say securing local sources for as much as possible of your, of your dietary needs, you know, chief among which is meat. If you cannot produce it, you need to be able to get to a farmer that'll, that'll sell it to you. And you're not going to be able to do that unless you build that relationship. You know, let's not get to the point where it's, you know, desperation, where it's shit hitting the fan, where we're all, you know, clinging to our guns. I just think, you know, we got a little bit too close to that last, you know, this past couple years. We've been sitting on a bit of a powder keg, and I really just hope people settle down. You know, it really doesn't help that we're being lied to and manipulated and that that fear and, you know, violence basically sell ads. You know, this, this Rittenhouse trial was certainly one to pay attention to because of the implications, because of the the potential for, I don't know, poor outcomes, but I think it, I think it's worked out as good as it could. And I think that, you know, unless I've missed it, there haven't been any riots. A lot of people thought there would be if he walked free. You know, I don't think there have been. So I think people are kind of tired. You know, I don't think people have it in them. It's interesting how there's huge protests in Europe, in Australia. You know, but we're not really seeing that here. And you know what these protests are about, right? It's about people getting sick and tired of being told what to do. They're protesting the mandates vaccination requirements, passports, you name it, they're, they're sick and tired of it. And it's sort of funny that we're not seeing those kind of protests here. Maybe it's because people are just taking care of things in their own way. Maybe they don't, maybe we don't want to protest anymore. Maybe we got a bad taste in our mouth, in our mouth. You know, maybe we need to have a quiet revolt. One in which we simply meet our own needs. Turn our backs on them. You know, my goal would be to stop paying my taxes entirely. And to be on a piece of land which I can say is sovereign. And that's going to take a long time to make that dream come true. But there's, there's legal precedent for such a thing. You know, I don't want to have to go to war. It's not going to be cool if that's what that comes to. If you're seriously like thinking that's not even possible, just, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's inevitable, but I don't think it's impossible.
know, this is not like the easiest of peasiest of podcasts right now. You know, I know this is like heavy shit. <sighs> I'm kind of like, kind of just trying to be real here. I've had a hard time getting my thoughts straight and I haven't really been able to record because I haven't want I haven't wanted to contribute to the division that's so evident. You know, I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm trying to be practical. Pragmatic. And when I look around, you know, I see I see prices rising. I see people quitting their jobs in mass. I see the FDA telling telling us that they need 55 fucking years to process a FOIA request about the Pfizer vaccine that yeah, you know, we'll 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 show you the documents, but we're going to just we're going to we're going to need till 2076 even though the requirement by law is 20 days to process a FOIA request funny thing is the people that submitted the FOIA request aren't even anti-vax they they were actually trying to trying to get the documents to to ease people's skepticism you know we want to be able to show people what what the FDA found and how they got to the conclusion that they did that it should be approved and this and that well I just you know it's like 55 years to review the documents how'd you review them in just a couple months you know, it's starting to starting to show this whole. If you haven't ever heard the the phrase "the emperor has no clothes," you know, it's just a way of saying these people are morons. They're fools. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're liars. They're they're cheats. They don't live up to their end of the bargain. You know, I got chatting with somebody recently about this idea of Byzantinism. That's one word um, for it. It's the idea of basically bureaucracy growing so large and so cumbersome that it becomes completely ineffective. You know, that's what this 55 years to process the documents tells me. Either they're ineffective or uninterested in revealing the truth. It's one or the other. You know, it must be. They're either genuinely incompetent or they're being dishonest. You know, guys, like, I am coming out, of the, coming out of the fog here, getting some clarity. You know, my, my mission over the last couple weeks was to, as I kind of said already, hit the reset button. And it's, it's not easy to do because the world we're surrounded by right now is is taxing so i hope that i hope that i can sort of move on from the the problems here and get more focused on solutions 
you know, that's, that's what this podcast is supposed to be. So forgive me, but I am reflecting right now on where we're at where we've been. You know, I haven't really wanted to talk much about the riots, even though it's, it's part of my history. I haven't wanted to talk about my similarities maybe with Kyle because in some ways I've been ashamed of my own actions even though in the moment they felt right and even after thinking about it long and hard they, they don't feel wrong even though you know many of you might think that they were to stand out in a crowd with a long gun making yourself look like you know freaking jackass kind of how I feel about it at this point even though I had the right to do it I think I was kind of a jackass did I really protect anybody or did I just put myself in jeopardy it's hard to say I don't want to be like the guy who gets wrapped up with a Russian mob lady and a you know gambler in Havana and fucking end up hiding out in Honduras. That doesn't sound that appealing. But it's the reality of the facts that people basically make their own bed, right? We make these decisions and sometimes Sometimes it's meaningless and it's stupid and we shouldn't do it. Then again, there are days like April 19th, 1775, where one single musket ignites a new way of life. You know, this American experiment, it's supposed to be Sovereign states with sovereign people. Not a nation where everyone bows to a centralized government. That's not what it was supposed to be. There was supposed to be the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, which originally was written as life, liberty, and property. You know, we have to be able to defend our bodies and our possessions. Otherwise, this all falls apart. That is the most basic of rights. So the arguments about the destruction of public property, or I'm sorry, private property, in the name of a political cause, like, it's something I had to really grapple with because I... I wanted to empathize with the protesters who turned rioters because I could understand their anger. But it's wrong to, to destroy someone else's property who, who never did anything to you. To steal. You know, it's not okay. So I see that there were good people on every single side of that fucked up summer. And I was kind of halfway straddling this, you know, I had one foot on one side and one foot on the other. I can, I can understand the militiamen just like I can understand the, I hate to say it, the anti-fascists who I don't quite understand right now because they don't seem very anti-fascist. They seem pretty fucking fascist. You know, it's like all these things I've had to learn. Like nobody is who they say they are. And it's a backwards kind of situation where You have, to, you have to pretend or you have to hide who you are in a certain kind of crowd because they, they think you might be the enemy if you admit to being, say, 
I don't know, a capitalist. You know, it's like we're living in sort of dangerous times right now. You know, let's not make ourselves a target. Let's not let's not strive to create enemies. Let's not be Kyle. This is what I've learned. I don't I don't want lawyers being my last line of defense from losing my my liberty entirely, you know? I don't want to be at, at the at the mercy of a jury of my peers if I can help it. And my hope would be if I found myself in that situation, I would I would be able to defend my decisions, but let's just not put ourselves in that position. Let's play it safe. Let's let's stay under the radar. Let's not fight their fight. Let's fight our own fight. Let's do it our way. And let's be guerrilla gardeners. Let's let's trade in meat and cryptocurrencies and you know supplies and and tr- and skills and and favors and you know services. Let's 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 cut them out of the picture. That's what agorism is. Agorism. However you pronounce it. It's the idea that the market is basically an ecosystem. It is a free-flowing, nebulous thing where the only the only wrong is to do anything in which you are coercing someone. You know, if it's all voluntary exchange and if there are no victims, it can all be done in the open. That is what agorists believe. You know, no black market, no white market, no gray market, just the open market, just everything the nebulous ecosystem of economics. So let's 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 become a part of the ecosystem. Instead of being servants to the system, let's be let's be actors within it individuals in a community now, these are these are ecological terms there is no there is no government in the forest i've said it before there are no rulers but there are rules you know i think lawyers guns and money are interesting in that they're all man-made. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just sort of artificial. And we only really need them if things, you know, hit the fan. I'm kind of excluding hunting here in terms of the firearms, but I believe the implication in the song is that the the guns are for self-defense. Send lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. Yeah, I just, like I said, that song's kind of been ringing in my head. And I think I've rambled on here long enough. Um, Like I said, you know, apologies. It's been a while since my last episode. I've kind of had a hard time just... I haven't really wanted to be out there. I've kind of wanted to be in here. But I do believe that this show must go on. I enjoy doing it. I just needed a moment to collect myself. So I hope that the episodes were will keep on rolling here. Um, I want to provide you with with some new ideas, some fresh takes, some practical advice, some you know, some thoughts, some prayers, some some good tasty tones trickling into your ear pods you know that's what I want to be so 
forgive me for doing a kind of politics, you know, current events episode here. Don't want to, I don't want to be that exclusively, but you know, I felt like it was kind of a good way to catch up. You know, we're all, we're all kind of living through this time together. And I hope that I can provide a little bit of rational context, I suppose. I'm not going to say I'm right about anything. It's up to you to decide how you feel about it. truth is these issues matter you know I believe that people have the right to self-determine that includes the right to self-defense because the unfortunate truth is there are times where people might want you dead even if you haven't done a thing to them So with that, y'all, this has been Mike the Polymath with the Easy Peasy Podcast. Come back again. <laughs>